In the following matters, I don't praise you. Your meetings do more harm than good. First, here's what people are telling me. When you come together as a church, you take sides. And in some ways, I believe it. Do you really think you need to take sides? You probably think God favors one side over the other. So when you do come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. As you eat, some of you go ahead and eat your own private meals. Because of this, one person stays hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? You are shaming those in the church who have nothing. Do you think so little of God's church that you do this? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? Certainly not about the Lord's Supper. I passed on to you what I received from the Lord. On the night the Lord Jesus was handed over to his enemies, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body. It is given for you. Every time you eat it, do it in memory of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup. This is the, new co- is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do it in memory of me. You eat the bread and drink the cup. When you do this, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord in the right way. Don't do it in a way that isn't worthy of him. If you do, you will be guilty. You'll be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone should take a careful look at themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. Whoever eats and drinks must recognize the body of Christ. If they don't, judgment will come upon them. That is why many of you are weak and sick. That is why a number of you have died. We should think more carefully about what we are doing. Then we would not be found guilty for this. For the Lord judges in this way. He corrects us. Then, in the end, we will not be judged along with the rest of the world. My brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. Mm -hmm. Then, when you come together, you will not be judged. When I come, I will give you more directions. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Juliet. If you haven't caught already, today is Family Worship Sunday. Uh, A few months ago, as we were kind of thinking through um, our our sermon series and how we wanted to see the family involved, uh, we decided that we wanted to create intentionally uh, a Family Worship Sunday every quarter. And so this is that intention, bringing them not only to come and sit, but really to participate, because we believe that intergenerational uh, ministry is what the Lord has called us to, and we wish to see our children come up alongside us and not only be instructed by us, but really help us to know better the Lord in a way that uh, sometimes we forget from time to time. So we are grateful on this Sunday. Uh, to have them amongst us and really leading us in really uh, just a great way. Well, we started a series last week uh, called The Table. Um, it's practicing the way of Jesus through, through hospitality. And so 
for uh, the first couple of weeks, we wanted to kind of orient ourselves really to the invitation that God has expressed to us. Last week, we talked about this holy welcome and tied it to uh, really, uh, you know, some of the uh, embryonic stages of our country and how at the very onset, we were a country of welcome, maybe not totally biblical welcome or holy welcome, but we were a country and have been a country of welcome, but really that dovetails into this divine welcome that Jesus has given to us, that God has given to us. But then also inside of that is this idea that not only has he given us that divine welcome to be part of his kingdom and be part of his family and to be invited to the table, but he expects us. No, he compels us. No, he exhorts us to do the exact same thing, is to be people who welcome others to the table. And so today, we're welcome to the table because we'll take the Lord's Supper here in a few moments. But to kind of start today's out, we want to talk about the family table. And uh, you see the picture of the table, and Kathy and I are going to kind of uh, play it back and forth for a little bit, just talking about... Uh, what the table represents. Yeah, so in your home, what is your table like? Uh, When you think about your table, um, uh, some people may think about it's a meeting place where you eat. Some people pay their bills from their table. Some people, maybe they don't eat at a table. Think about for a minute, just picture in your mind what your table space in your home looks like. Over the years, we have... Um, had the tremendous blessing of hosting people around our table. And we would love to have every single person. In fact, sometimes we sit around, um, <laughs> sometimes we sit around and we dream about what it will it be like when our, our, we're empty nesters or, or we dream about like, well, we are, we kind of are now, aren't we? Oh. <laughs> And so we think about our table and we think about, we've had this dream like, what if we could build, and what if we could build this huge table in our yard? Like, just take our yard and do this wood, like right down the middle of it, and just say, come, let's eat together. And then usually I'm the one that thinks, okay, well, what are we going to have, and when are we going to get it, and I'm the one that's like making the whatever. But we've had a lot of amazing people around our table. We have. Uh, one of the things that what we've often found about the table, it can, again, I want to chase back to, it can be a literal table uh, or really kind of this metaphorical place where you find yourself gathered with other people and you're sharing life, right? It's this life on life. But in our family, uh, the literal dinner table uh, has become a place of gathering, a place of sharing laughter, of reflecting Um, of kind of rehearsing some things. There have been, there's often uh, really quite funny stories that come out, especially now. Maybe you have the same experience. You you gather and you realize, oh, you have all these categories of of stories and rememberings, these these stories that come back to life in, in a hilarious way, right? We've heard about how people met. We always love those stories, like how people met, what their dating story was, what their wedding story was. We have three girls, and so, you know, <laughs> they love that. And 
Well, I love that. <laughs> and then we love hearing about like the story about how people have come to know the Lord as their Savior and some of the things that they've gone through. And then, you know, so we've gotten to know some amazing people around the table. And then there's also been, when you said stories, it reminded me of the time one of our children... Um, we happened to have Steve's boss over for dinner, and one of our children looked that boss right in the eye and said, you can go home now. <laughs> and we still laugh about that to this day, and that person laughs too, and it was really funny because what they didn't know that we knew is that they were going to grandma's after, um, <laughs> after these people left. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. it's... We laugh about it at that moment. We're, you know, we were like, Ugh, what do we do? But what we laugh about it. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babies. Right? So um, we've had great stories. Yeah. Great. Even we think back to um, like uh, missionaries that have come over that have told us about um, things that are going on in their lives and countries and how our children listened to those stories and are like, wow you know, and, and taking in mm-hmm. what they're saying and what the Lord is doing in other places around the world has been so incredibly uh, worth every iota of prep, yeah. every I, everything we, we did maybe to prepare for that. Absolutely. I, I think that in many ways, the Sunday morning gathering whether there is a table set for communion or there is not, is exactly that. It's a place where we come and we look at each other and we remind one another of God's goodness and the stories that come, even in the midst of the present-day hardships, right? We remind, we reflect, and we then just, we are just built up around that. And so the family table is, is, is essential, And I think it's essential uh, for this concept of hospitality, of inviting people in, but also in the process, you know, I just think about our own children and the conversations. We had a couple over uh, a few days ago and, you know, we, nothing is left off the table, at the table, I mean, absolutely nothing. Our uh, son-in-laws have been horrified. Because they didn't grow up in a, in a woman's We're very house, open table. <laughs> uh, by the conversation. I'm not going to go in there with you guys this morning. But it is, it's, it's a place where, we, where nothing's left. There's a place of reflection. It's a place of refinement. Authenticity. Refreshment. Mm-hmm. And I would even go so far as realignment to the core values of what we believe, where we live, and how we do the things we do. What else would you add? Well, I was just thinking authenticity, too. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about, um, you know, how sometimes when we're thinking about hospitality and inviting people to our home, mm-hmm. there might be many thoughts about, like, all the preparation, or my, ho- my house isn't this or that or the other thing, or my table has, like, five months of bills on it or, you know, whatever. And that thought or that thinking can really rob us of really enjoying the goodness of just having somebody over, even if it's around a TV tray or on a back patio or going for a walk for ice cream or, you know, because you got to walk to get the ice cream. You got to, yeah, you got to, you got to pay, you know, those calories and anyway. So, yeah. yeah, sometimes all of the, the, the do stuff can take away from the the, oh, just hearing and getting to know people and seeing people created in the image of God. It's incredible. Right. It's incredible. 
which segues right into our passage today uh, very appropriately. Thank you. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, starting in the 17th verse, and the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. And this is what I want you to catch. In the first place, I hear when you come together as a church, he's not talking about your homes, he's talking about the church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper we eat. So there is a formality that we move towards uh, that, you know, even around the family table on a Sunday morning that can catch us. We are to remember, remember we are to share in the Lord's supper. I I don't know what happens at your dinner table, but if, if somebody comes to our dinner table and they're just a, a little bit irked. They have something going on that, that doesn't allow them to envelop into the conversation. One could easily call it the same thing that Paul calls it. There's division at the table. There's division at the table, right? And so when we eat, we're just, we're just consuming food. We're not in the process of remembering, we'll get to it, remembering of why we've come to the table in the first place. We create these private parties or private places we go. Other people are left out of the party. They go hungry, and he says they are, there's drunkenness. There's people that walk in. They don't get anything because it's all consumed. The backdrop behind all of 1 Corinthians is that this this church that's placed in this very cultural, uh, cross-cultural type of uh, location where there are several ports that enter the city. There are several different ways of living and giving and doing life. And what Paul is trying to have everyone understand is when the church gets together, those things take a back seat. It's not that they disappear. They take a back seat to this place where there is no division. In fact, in Colossians, Paul states this, here there are no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. He's driving at the point, even in this Colossians, even in this Corinthians passage and through Colossians, is that when we get together, we don't see, we see each other as Christ's children, brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes on and he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He's pulling these Corinthian uh, believers, followers of Jesus back into, wait a second, when you meet as a church and when you take communion, there is no division. Because when you think of me, when you remember Jesus, that's what we're called to do, we're to remember Jesus, all of that fades into one family. What are we remembering when we remember Jesus? 
Let's just simply take John 3.16 as a backdrop to these next words. We remember he loves us. Uh, not only did he loved, uh, loved us through giving his life, but he loves us now in this moment, right? We love that song, you know, right? The, the truth is in the Bible that he so loved the world, but he so loves us in this moment, we also are called to remember through John 3.16 that remember he gave his life. So when we come and we see that the table is set in the church, we remember, oh, this isn't about me. This is about him. This is about the world he loves. This is about that he gave his life for me. Right? God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Simple. Simple concepts. Simple elements to remember, to draw us back, to remind us of just the purity of his life. We also remember that we can be forgiven and free if we choose to follow, because that's the last part of John 3.16, right? It says, if you believe. And for many of us, we need to convert that belief. We've converted it here a little bit to follow, that you truly follow him. You don't go your own way. You don't do your own thing. You follow the rabbi He said it at another place in Luke 9, 23, this, whoever wants to be my disciple must must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He makes it clear that that's our call, that when we remember him and we see this set before us, that it's not about my life, my goals, or anything. It's about him. When we follow Jesus, we're surrendering our way of life for his life. His identity for our identity, right? That exchange. So when Jesus said, and we've, we've been through this in the Matthew, he said, repent, of, repent for the kingdom of God is near. He meant it. This is not just hyperbole. That he meant that you surrender your life, you surrender your ways for his ways. It leads us into this place of confession where the things that we realize, oh, wait a second, That's not Jesus. That's me. That's not his kingdom. That's a reflection of the culture. We cough up. We confess. We acknowledge what he already knows about us in those moments. I love John. John uses the imagery of light. It's kind of this thing, right? We've talked about it historically, the idea that Darkness can't invade light. Light invades darkness, right? You can't conceal anything. We start to think we can. We're lying to ourselves, right? First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But I love John. He goes on in the second chapter. If anybody does sin, we have, an ad, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only this, for our sins, but the sins of the 
whole world. So we set the table not only for ourselves, but we set the table on behalf of Jesus for the whole world to come and eat, to partake, to journey with us and with him, most importantly. Mm. We come to remember, to reflect, to renew ourselves. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? We remember we worship Jesus when we eat and drink. We worship no one else, nothing else. What do we do when we, when we worship? What are we proclaiming when we worship? Well, there's a couple of things we proclaim especially captured in this verse in 1 Corinthians, that we are all sinners. There is, the divisions need to go away because we're all the same before God. All the same. And then we all need to self-examine our heart, our mind, and our soul, or our hands, our head, and our heart, Right? So whoever, he goes on, so whoever then eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, remembering why he gave himself, what he did for us, when they eat and drink, they drink, they bring judgment on themselves. As Kathy and I were talking about different elements, she reflected, you know, it takes courage and humility to prepare for the table of the Lord, to come to the family table, if you will, today. It's not a passing thing. It is a, it's, it's hard work to reflect on, oh, have I put... Put something else before Jesus, taking the Ten Commandments in its order. If I put something else before God, and my mind goes to 1 John, right? He says, look, if you, if you say you haven't sinned, guess what? You're a liar. I didn't say it. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. An unexamined Head, heart, mind, and soul, or we'll get to it, the, the hands, head, and heart should not partake. But why, why do we come? Why do we come to the family table? Last week, Melanie uh, referred to Genesis where uh, Abraham becomes his host of these three travelers coming through. Uh, he becomes this archetype figure for God, actually, in that situation where he sets up this, this table where he has them eat and enjoy it with them. Well, these days we can say that easily this, that Jesus is the host of the supper. He invites you to come. As Abraham set the table thousands of years ago, Jesus sets the table for you. But it takes us remembering, reflecting, and then, may I say, realigning ourselves. 
to who God has called us to be. We have to examine. So before we take the Lord's Supper today, we'll, we'll take some time to examine our hands, our head, and our heart. Psalm 24, 3 through 4 says this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Psalm 139 says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I have a few questions that go with our our initial examination, if you will. Hands. Uh, Take a look at them. Take a look at your hands. Yeah, look at them. What have you done with your hands this week? What good have you done for his kingdom and for him? And what have you done that dishonors him, that breaks his heart, that hurts him? What have you passed along with a click, like, or tweet that you know is dishonoring to Jesus? What have you done with your hands in traffic that may be discerned as offensive? Oh, you get it. How about your head? How have you used your mind this week? What good, creative, and imaginative ways have you used it to honor him? But at the same term, turn, what ways have you used your head that are demeaning, dehumanizing, destroying? The tear at the kingdom. Paul encourages us to take every thought captive. Those fleeting thoughts, maybe first temptations, but when they're entertained, when they're fertilized, they grow. So how have you used your mind this week? What words have you used? How about your heart? Just one of those questions. How have you purposefully and intentionally formed your heart after Jesus this week? With that comes the corollary. What ways have you not? Ways that you have not spent in his word, in prayer, with him.
Paul encourages us not to come to the table glibly or with irreverence, but soberly, full, mindfully, if you will, of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he wants to do. We remember what Jesus has done. We reflect on what he is doing. We realign ourselves to where he wants to take us. Let us pray as we segue into our time of communion together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Paul's words that capture our heart's attention, our minds. And Father, every part of us as we wish to worship Jesus fully and wholly. Lord, as we come, would you prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare every part of us that we may eat and drink in a worthy manner. Confessing, Lord, confessing, saying already what you already know to you, acknowledging that you are right, confessing and living in that forgiveness and freedom that you offer when we choose to follow you. Amen.